Hello, and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mosk, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing Unseen Academicals by Terry Pratchett, Bend It Like Beckham, and 30 Years and Change by Sun Smasher. Hello and welcome to episode 73, Game, Set, and Match. <laughs> I'm Alex and I'm the baseball one. And yes, I did pronounce that with an L, baseball. <laughs> I'm Freya and I am the figure skating one. I'm Macy, and I am the badminton one. Amazing. We are three redheaded fantasy authors. And today, for some reason, we're talking about sports ball. Um, <laughs> Not I know all sports I... have balls, Alex. Yeah, some sports That's without true. ball. Some sports have birdies. Sure. <laughs> some of them have cocks. Hey. <laughs> hey, bad, badminton I... high five. <laughs> I know that I, for one, have been allergic to athletic activities for most of my life, so I don't know how we're going to get through this, uh, except I do. It's because of my uh, long-standing childhood weakness for shonen sports animes, which I'm sure we will get into. We will get but through before- this with the power of flange lip. Yeah, and team work. <laughs> Good luck spelling that, sp- scribes. Good luck. Scribes? Scribes. Scribes. Extra L's Good in God. this random word. Please rescue us with the script. <laughs> yes, the I will script. rescue you with the script. But the. the <laughs> <laughs> but I before can basically, like, feel the saliva flying at the microphone. So this episode is going great. Already, we're off to a great start. But before we get into all of that, fellow slurpments, <laughs> what are we reading? <laughs> Freya, Freya, help. Right. Freya, Freya, help! Freya, Freya. Yeah, I love it. Nice. I'll accept. I will answer. It's your death metal name. It's your death metal name. It is. Yes. Possibly also my roller derby name. Oh God. To, to, to get into a sport. Ooh. Yeah. Without claws. Yeah. Flaya, yeah. What I have been reading. I just last night finished reading Unconquerable Sun by Kate Elliott. (gasps) How was it? This is the long-promised, gender-swapped Alexander the Great in space. It is Mm. amazing. I enjoyed it so much. It's military sci-fi, political intrigue. It's extremely funny, which I wasn't expecting. It has a lot of points of view, which I also wasn't expecting, but she just kept throwing in new point of view characters and I'd be like but but I want to get back to the old ones and then six pages later mm. I would die for the new point of view character <laughs> I heard there was sure. a hot bodyguard is there a hot bodyguard player there are several hot bodyguards <gasps> it is I was told in great deal, deal, detail about the hot bodyguards yeah there, there are several hot bodyguards there is one of them who is the most Alex character I've ever encountered who um, is maybe. also a bard who essentially won Space American Idol, and so they use him at least three times throughout the book to create diversions because he just essentially drops his cape, starts strumming his ukulele, and everybody in the city loses their shit and creates a flash mob. Kate Elliott is my god among women. Yeah, this book is fantastic. I I adore it. I can't wait for the next enormous chunking Mm. books in the series. I also speaking. It's a series. Yes, it's going to be a series. We get more of this. Alex, you oh, can't wonderful. possibly do an Alexander the Great story in one friggin' book. I yeah. agree. <laughs> I agree. Anyway, blanket recommendation. It's extremely queer. The world building is amazing. Love it. Love it. And secondly, speaking of sports-related fiction, I read mm. the YA novelization, or I guess novel tie-in, mm. "Fence <laughs> Striking Distance" by Sarah Reese Brennan. I love Sarah Reese Brennan. I love the Fence graphic novel series by C.S. Bacatch of Captive Prince fame. And your, this your, was just... Your, a, destined, your destined soulmate. My destined soulmate. <laughs> C.S. Bacatch. <Yes>. Um, <laughs> this is a really lovely, lighthearted, but with a really strong emotional core YA book about some boys at a fancy boarding school who are all on the fencing team. It has fake dating. It has a heist. It has a lot of swords. Ow. Yeah, I know. You just have to read it and find out. Sarah Reese Brennan is really good at incredibly funny, 
oblivious mm-hmm. perspective uh, where you get a really clear sense of what somebody is like through how she writes their point of view. But a lot of the humor is coming from the things that you, the reader, mm-hmm. know that this person is missing. And so Got she it. uses that to really good effect for both humor and uh, creating some very emotional situations. <laughs> so I loved it. I yelled about her about it on Twitter. I'm also looking forward to the second book in that series. Very nice. And lastly, I have spent some time with soothing background noise on YouTube. So the Bon Appetit YouTube universe, which was my favoured stress relief background noise, decided to shoot your other With your other uh, faded soulmate. My other faded soulmate, Claire, decided (laughs) to shoot themselves in both feet and prefer to implode their brand and lose all of their talent rather than pay people of colour what they were worth. So... Mm. Most of that doesn't exist anymore. Half of their people have left. But my third fated soulmate, Sola L. Wiley, who I love, um, <laughs> has now got a spot on a different YouTube food-related channel, uh, Binging mm. with Babish, which I'd never really watched before. But I followed Sola there because I love Sola and mm. discovered that Binging with Babish is a really nice background noise because he has a very soothing voice. You just see his hands creating things while he calmly and soothingly tells you about this ridiculous <laughs> food stuff from a TV show or a book that he is trying to make in his own kitchen. So if you need something to have on in the background while you yourself are cooking or doing the dishes, I have been really enjoying that. Yes, and if you are not using us for that purpose, because let's face it, we are gremlins, we are not soothing. Yes. We're not soothing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Well, I think Freya. I think Freya has the most soothing voice out of anyone on this podcast, which was proven the other day oh, when God. I <laughs> when I pitched when I pitched our, our voices down to see what we would sound like as boys, and Freya ended up sounding like actually extremely sexy. Yeah, Freya is um, the only one who sounds good. I did yeah. sound yeah. actually like actively me- good, like like actively really, really like a, a completely different person yeah. and extremely yeah actually like a boy. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. sorry, go ahead, Macy. <laughs> Macy, <laughs> last fortnight has been in edit hell um, and has thus read very little that is not infinitely scrolling amounts of Scum Villain, Untamed, and Yuri on Ice because nostalgia fanfic. Mm. Um, but I did read one thing which was fabulous and I had been saving for myself as a treat which is Drowned Country by Emily Tesh. Yay! Yay! Which is the sequel to the extremely good Silver in the Wood uh, novella, which came out last year. And this year it is the point of view of the sad, sulking twink half of the partnership um, who has destroyed his own life and also home by growing trees through it and has been summoned out of his sulk by his mother to a dingy seaside resort to solve a vampire slash fairy problem. Mm. And it is poetic and hilarious and touching and Emily is so very, very good and it is very compact, which I for one appreciate. Emily is just so good. Like, objectionably good. Emily is on the short list of people whose brains I would like to eat. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Which is my favorite way of expressing affection and yeah. admiration for yeah. people's writing uh, work. Uh, I have also not been reading anything in particular other than vast amounts of scum villain and untamed fanfic. Um, that's the huge mood. Uh, I've also still been watching the scum villain uh, animated series, mm. which remains garbage, but the <laughs> best kind of garbage. Um, I also like. Okay, so we are tentpoling a fan fiction about this volleyball anime, and I yes, have been studiously—I have been studiously avoiding the volleyball anime for—I'm not kidding—years now yeah. because I know that I have a, uh, a weakness, a hereditary, a hereditary weakness uh, for shonen sports anime, and so I was like, "Shit, I'm gonna have to watch like two episodes oh, of this just so that I have context." And I watched two episodes of this, and I was like, "Fuck, this is." so good though and then i watched uh 20 more episodes i think uh and it remains extremely 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 good and full of like sincerity and teamwork and like how great it is to be part of something bigger than yourself and i think that we're going to be talking more about that as we talk about uh the splorts i think so in this episode 
So why don't, Macy, why don't you tell us about um, the first sport, which is a slocker, or sorry, oh a, my foot, gosh. a football, <laughs> a football sport really uh, with some sp- lesbians. Okay, first off, darling <laughs> listeners, we apologize deeply for our utterly incomprehensible utterances thus far. Yeah. This is an injury I mean, which don't. Alex has not explained. For once, it oh. is Alex's fault, not mine. <laughs> Oh, should I do that before we go on? I will briefly mention there is a splort named Blaze Blall, um, which is an internet phenomenon um, yeah. that basically just stuck the letter L in random places in various words. Uh, Alex is about to correct me on something. I'm about to correct you. The elevator pitch for Blaze Ball is. <laughs> it's got an L in it, Macy. Incredible. It another. Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> elevator that's very good the elevator pitch for baseball is that it is baseball but night veil if you remember the episode of night veil with the street cleaners uh where it's like it's street cleaning day run that is baseball yep and we will talk about that a little bit more later but for now we are going to talk about one of my formative baby queer movies Mm. um which i freya were you also similarly experiencing this movie at the time I'm trying to think. I think, honestly, truly, I saw this after I saw the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. And I was very disappointed (laughs) that Keira Knightley was not wearing more dresses, which is completely Mm. against the entire spirit of the movie. Of the character, yes. Um, And the character. But I just really liked her in the dresses. (laughs) But short shorts. Um, But short shorts. Oh, yeah. No, I appreciate... Small Freya did appreciate Keira Knightley in all (laughs) incarnations. She just really liked... The pirate incarnation, the most. So, yeah. this is the movie Bend It Like Beckham, which is a 2002 sports movie about a young, I believe, uh, Punjabi girl? Yes. Um, yes. Jess, Jess Minder, and her brand new friend, played by Kiara Knightley, Jules. And Jess is a very talented soccer player, um, but girls don't play soccer. Um, and so her one, like her biggest love um, and joy is playing football in the park with all of the boys and she's much better at it than all of them are. And one day this other girl comes along and spots her and says, hey, you're really good. Do you want to try out for my team? And they are both sort of 17, 18 years old. They've just finished high school. They're trying to figure out what to do with their lives. And this is kind of... The film version of, um, it reminded me a lot of, fuck, what's the... the, You haven't given me enough information to be able to fill in like I usually do. The the Yorkshire Ballet movie. um, Billy Elliot. Oh, Billy Elliot. Billy Elliot. Right. Um, And about kind of trying to figure out who you are in Mm. a world that doesn't want you to be part of this sport in Jess's case, both because she is a girl and because she is a second gen immigrant and she is brown. Um, Mm. And so figuring out how to navigate her family and the world, even while Jules is also trying to figure out how to navigate her family because her mother still doesn't want her to be playing football as a girl. Um, So this is, they, the two of them develop a very close and intimate friendship very quickly. It's very intense. And the movie itself is not queer, but apparently the creator wanted it to be. Um, so mm. there is a male love interest for Jess. Um, and it's not as lol my romance is pasted on as some, but it's a little bit that. So tell me, what did you it guys think of this? It was a little bit that. I was wondering, like, I had seen it probably like 10 years ago mm-hmm. or so. And um, so I was familiar with it, but this was the first time I had seen it in a while. And so I definitely watched it. I'm like, why is this boy here? <laughs> like, what is the purpose what of is this he adding boy to other this than situation? to make this slightly less queer than it could have been? And mm. personally, I think that, you know, um, Jess and Jules went off to college together and did start dating. I, I, ship, um, I ship the boy with the, with ship- the friend, with Jess's best friend, who is also a boy. Oh yeah, that would be good. And was gay canonically, um, and and was also into football. They have so much to talk about. Well, they played cricket as well together. Oh yes, they did. They did. So in our heads, um, it's gayer than it is. I don't want to. I don't want to tell our listeners that it's gay without making the caveat that it's gay in our heads. And I note the head of the creator. 
Right. But mm. they right. do talk about queerness on the page, so to speak. Mm. Yeah, I, I love this movie. I've seen it many, many times. <laughs> and I think I love it because it is a very particular type of sports story, which exactly mm. as you said, Macy, is about sports as self-expression. And you can right. see the difference in Jess. And the character plays it very well when she is playing football and with mm-hmm. her football friends she's a whole different person right like she holds herself differently her right. expressions are different she speaks differently and part of that is code switching um in mm-hmm. that she's you know in her home culture at home with her parents her family she behaves a certain way but also just the way the amount of joy she gets from doing this sport and being good at it mm-hmm. and being mm-hmm. unapologetically the best right and that's something that i really love about sports narratives especially when they are focused on somebody using sports to discover themselves it's about not apologizing for something that you are very good at and that you are working hard to become good at and i think that that comes into gender a little bit too right because there are very few things where as a girl as a woman you're allowed to push and try hard and be Mm. ambitious but like no one is ever going to tell you off on the football field for like trying to run too fast or being too aggressive in the game right Mm. And this and the movie, well, other than potentially a referee, well, but you know, <laughs> sure, like within reason. I get, you know I get I mean? the like, point. Putting though. your best effort I do, I do. is not seen as unhumble in the same way that Correct. it might be academically. You can't mm. show up your teammates. That doesn't work. Correct. Mm. And even yeah. now, there are very few comparatively mm. female sports celebrities. I mean, uh, I'm just thinking of the the strike that a lot of women's teams were on last year in America mm-hmm. about the, the the pay the pay disparity between women's football and men's football. Sorry, soccer. Yeah, and, soccer, even, and yes. I mean, Ben's like Beckham is even a step back from that in that it says mm-hmm. even though football is so important in the UK and to many cultures around the world, in order for Jess and Jules to take the next step and to become right. even famous in quotation marks soccer players paid, as women paid even paid they have to go to america yeah like that's the, the happy ending yep. is moving even further away from the culture yeah that you were brought up in and moving somewhere where people might actually take you seriously and because it's all built around her uh, her let's say how to say this it is built around jess's admiration for beckham as a yep. role model, as a celebrity. And you can see that she wants to be like him. She wants to play as well as him. And mm-hmm. there is this undercurrent of she deserves to be as famous as he is if she is as mm-hmm. good a player. Right. But it's not going to happen. Right. And that's kind of, you know, the bittersweet underlying thing. The film is very upbeat. but Oh, yeah. It's a very fun movie. Yes. And I, for one, appreciate a sports story that isn't actually about winning the tournament, but it's about building a life in the context of your sport. And it felt a little bit like how people treat building a life around one's art as sort of an unrealistic mm. goal. Yeah, because because it's more than just like, oh, you win the tournament and like things go into sort of like glorious slow motion as you hug your teammate <laughs> and then fade <laughs> to black and then the credits roll. Right, there's still like probably five, ten minutes after that of like, her talking to her family right. and like them saying goodbye as she and Jules are getting on the the airplane and sort of like what they're choosing to leave behind, what they're walking towards and what they're going to come back to, right? It's like a life, like you said, a life around your art. Mm. And, and the two the two visuals from the movie that I remember the most and that always stand out the most clearly are the ones that are about sport as microcosm for not giving up in life mm. and overcoming mm-hmm. the mm. ba- barriers that arise in your life. And that's um, when you get a cut on her leg and then wipes off the blood and then keeps going. Mm. And you mm-hmm. just, it's a very quick shot, but it's really iconic that you have just see this, this scrape, you see her hand swipe the blood away and then she runs. Yep. And the other one, which is where they make the metaphor quite concrete within the movie, which is when she is, uh, about to do a penalty shot, there's teammates crowding in from the other team crowding in <laughs> front of her, and she sees her family instead, and all of their disapproval, and the things that she is trying to overcome in order to have the life that mm-hmm. she wants. And, and she I kicks the ball the over things, their heads. Yes, one of the things I did really <laughs> love was that um, it's more complex than that within her family, right? Because her father had come to England being a really good football player himself cricket, and had tried... Right? Was it cr- cricket. only cricket? I thought it was both. Was it specifically? I don't okay. remember. Her father had come to the country being a really good cricket player 
and had tried to play in England and had faced such racism um, in trying to do so that he wasn't able to. And so it's not just, you know, conservative family refuses to allow precious daughter to Mm. do sport. It's someone whose dream this once was who had it crushed doesn't want to see his daughter crushed and hurt in the same way. And so for me, it was really powerful to see the father, after, like at the end of the movie, playing cricket for fun again. Yes. Mm. Yes, for sure. But I also had a lot of feels, which I didn't realize the first time through, about like second generation London immigrants, because the sister, uh, Pinky, has the exact same accent and attitude of my aunt. Oh, yeah. Who was also second gen. Um, parents didn't really speak much English, you know. Italian were my parents, were my mother and my aunt's first language. Mm-hmm. Um, so feeling. I had, like, I had oh. forgotten that Archie Punjabi was in this movie. <laughs> it was very exciting for me. <laughs> I love But that. we should move to the next tentpole because we have some fic for you. Yes. We do. So, as Alex mentioned, I made them read some haiku fic for this episode. <laughs> uh, so, this is a fic called 30 Years and Change by Sun Smasher. This focuses on. A, a popular within the fandom, but less prominent in the show itself pairing, mm-hmm. uh, which is Oikawa and Iwaizumi, who are players, the captain and vice captain on one of the major teams that the main team goes up against. And so mm-hmm. I think you get more development of these characters in the manga from what I have heard. You do see them and get to know them in the anime, but because the anime has to be a lot more selective about what it shows when it's trying to adapt, you don't get as much of these characters, but they are very popular as a pairing. <laughs> they are childhood best friends who have known each other since they were tiny, tiny children and just know each other so well. And they have that really lovely friends to lovers dynamic of someone who knows you inside and out and insults you all the time and nobody will ever know you or be as good for you as they are. So the premise of this fic is that it is at the Olympics and I love Yee. an Olympics story a lot. And it's the 2024 Olympic Games. Of course, it was written before we knew that there wasn't going to be a 2020 game uh, in the usual sense. (laughs) And it was also written before the end of the manga. So it does go, you know, AU from what the creator uh, Mm -hmm. sees as as the end, where these people end up. But in this fic, Iwaizumi is working as a firefighter who wants to train to become a paramedic. Uh, Oikawa is still playing professional volleyball and is captaining the Japanese men's team at the Olympics. They were very, very, very close friends. Something happened and they have been growing apart and not speaking as much for the last few years. And Oikawa out of nowhere sends Oizumi some tickets to come and watch the volleyball at the games, which he does. And of course they work through their emotional stuff. There's a lot of really fun ensemble work with a lot of other characters (laughs) I love this. I love this fic. It's very satisfying. Married with a baby. And I'm just like, this is great. Like passing the baby around the Olympic team. Yes. And it's written in a really fun, well-observed style. And it's got some very good feelings and some very good sports ball in it. Yep. How did you guys like this story? (laughs) I really enjoyed it. I really liked the... um, the lack of angst around, I'm no longer playing this sport from Oikawa. Mm. Like sometimes that's something that you get. Um, so I appreciated that like, it was fine that some of them had continued on with volleyball and some of them Did you mean but... the other one, like Iwazumi? Iwazumi, yes. yeah. <clears throat> yeah, because like Oikawa has a lot of angst about volleyball. <laughs> well, okay. I really appreciated the lack of angst around not playing volleyball that Iwazumi had that he'd moved on. Mm. Um, yeah. I think that a lot of time you do see... Uh, kind of a lot more tension in fix where some characters have pursued their high school passion as a career and others haven't. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the point here. Um, they were happy with their lives and more or less and where they'd gone. Um, and I had so much fun with all of the like little drips and drabs of the games that we got to see because it was a little bit more relationship focused, but you still got to see them competing and doing spikes and jumping real high. Yes, yes. And sort of like the emotional impact of like getting an injury and not being sure if you're going to be playing again, but like you're surrounded by your teammates and so their win is still kind of your win. Um, it's all the things that are great about sports. <laughs> Yes. But also the Olympics is such a weird setting. It is a very weird setting. Like, because it's kind of a liminal space, right? Because mm-hmm. like, it's a it's a liminal space in that 
like it's a place between places because you're all kind of in this Schrodinger's space of like you've both mm. haven't won and you have one and like it's like you're on right. the cusp of something. Um, and so like anything can happen in these liminal spaces. It's a place of like magic and, and so forth. It reminded me a little bit of being at Worldcon Dublin as nominees. Yes, that's a great. That is a great you've analogy. Won just to get there, right? And it is an but honor at the same just time, to be you nominated. Totally haven't. Yeah, yeah. And like there was that moment too, like the the moment when like the uh, winner gets announced, and it's Charlie Jane Anders and Annalie Newitz, uh, extremely deserving. Yes. Go listen to their podcast. Um, and there's this moment of sort of release where like it's like, oh, okay, it's over now. The cat has been collapsed into the waveform. Yeah. <laughs> what a but beautiful mis- a- metaphor that was. <laughs> Amazing. I, 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 yeah, sure. <clears throat> Faye had a fin- uh, That was just L's. Faye that was just Olympics full of sport. L's. <laughs> That's so many L's. That was all the extra L's she was going to yes. scatter throughout yeah. the rest of I'm, the podcast. I'm storming all in one them place. up. I like a chipmunk. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to leave that in now because it was funny. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. I was going I to say it. about the Olympics, in this Olympics? story I like it because it gives you that sense of there's things that can happen there that don't happen anywhere else. Mm, you have the Olympic yes, village, you have, yeah, it's a definitely a fairyland. And coming from a space of having read some RPF in other <laughs> sports fandoms, the Olympics are a place where rivalries and alliances shift because your identities as teammates in relationship to one another also shift. So you might have people who are playing in a league on particular teams, but then you get to the Olympics and suddenly you're on different teams because then it's about your country rather than your team Mm -hmm. that you usually play for. And so you have a shifting relationship with someone who might be on your team is now on the other team or vice versa. And one of the things that this story did, I think it just sort of brought out a little bit some of the stuff that's in Haikyuu as mm. an anime, which is that, again, the relationship you have with your teammates or the relationship that you have with someone on the other side of the net is a metaphor for how you are negotiating your dynamic with that person in real life. Mm-hmm. And I, what I really liked in this story, the way that Oikawa is not quite able to see how the other people on his team relate to him because he's just thinking of them as his team and he's known most of them since high school uh and it takes iwaizumi coming in and seeing it from the outside to say look how what look how much of a role model you are for these people this person plays like you because they admire you well i mean this is why alex loves shonen so much right because there's just leeches all over the fucking place there's leeches (laughs) all over the place but also like it's for me, it's not quite about like the fealty. It's more just like the relentless sincerity. And you know mm, that I am your your sincerity serpent on this podcast. Yes, I am solely yes, responsible for one hundred percent of yeah. the sincerity here. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. But in in Japanese um, philosophy, there is a virtue called makoto, which means um, literally sincerity or earnestness, or in some senses, truth. And it is the idea that it is morally right to act in a pure and guileless kind of fashion where you're presenting your real feelings as the feelings that you're showing to people rather than like disguising your true feelings. Uh, And this is the philosophy that all of shonen sports anime relies upon. (laughs) I wrote an essay when I was in college called The Importance of Being Earnest, Makoto as a Path to Success, which proved that in any shonen sports anime, the team with the greater amount of makoto is the one that's going to win in the end. And that's <laughs> this not is why always... Naruto is shonen, right? Because Naruto is a makoto protagonist in a world of ninjas who are like, what the fuck are you doing? Stop. Well, I've never seen Naruto's, but I will take your word for it. <laughs> well, I mean, especially some of the early stages of Naruto are very sports structured. Mm. Because there's these ideas of the trials and you're competing and in your little team of ni- yeah. ninjas and you're t- yeah competing in a tournament against other ninjas and there's yeah. a lot of makoto in that. Yeah, um, the example that I used specifically was Prince of Tennis because I was deeply mm. into Prince of Tennis into Prince of Tennis for man- many many years and um, in that show towards the last arc like the the sort of climax finale of the arc there's a moment where the main character the pr- protagonist Echizen uh, Ryoma. Uh, has this, he's been, he's been competing and trying his hardest. And he has this moment of remembering that tennis is fun. And he's like, I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to play 
tennis and I'm I'm going to remember that tennis is fun and like that's the big secret that like <laughs> gives him access to superpowers and lets him win the match. I mean that very much is the message of of Haikyuu in right. that there's no there's no actual antagonist. The right. person you are playing against always in the end is yourself. Mm-hmm. You are only trying to make yourself better and learn something new about yourself. And I think the protagonist of Haikyuu Hinata is an excellent character for that. Oikawa yes. is kind of what happens if you take Howl from Howl's Moving Castle and imagine what yeah. would he have been yeah. like as a captain of a rugby team? <laughs> and the answer is Oikawa is what, yeah. is what he would be. But like in the real world, uh, like sidebar um, Macy's misspent youth story. Oh, we love um, that. <laughs> when, when one goes to an elite competition uh, that anyone is allowed to enter, in this case, the um, the JK Cup uh, orienteering competition with that spirit, the I'm here to have fun and enjoy the sport, what ends up happening is when you want You get eaten alive by your two team. Two and a half hours after the last person out, because you were having fun and fell in a pond, everyone is somewhat say, concerned. Did you find an exciting tree that you needed I to spend some time with? You found, I found a, swamp. a swamp, and I decided that the place that I was, the, the target I was bound for was probably in the swamp, and so I went exploring. But did you have a good time in the swamp? I mean, I had a lot of magodo about that swamp, I guess. But like, <laughs> yeah. uh, the, no. the, the uh, safety committee was somewhat less impressed. Yeah. You're right. A good sports narrative has that balance between I want to win and you can't win without drive. Yeah. You know, wanting to be the best, wanting to win, and the balance between. I want to be the best, I have ambition, but I'm doing this on some level because I enjoy it. And it's a very common sports narrative to have people have to rediscover joy because mm-hmm. they have had the balance tipped too far towards I have to win at all costs. Yeah. Yep. Well, let's talk a little bit then in the next poll about um, a situation where they kind of really have to win or at least survive their sport. Yes. Uh, so the next tentpole, it has been a hot second since we have tentpoled a Terry Pratchett novel. Far too long, yeah. in my opinion. Um, but this one that we are tentpoling is, of course, Unseen Academicals, which is the Terry Pratchett splorts novel. Um, and this one is about the football. Uh, and uh, the sh- short version is that the wizards of the, un- the Unseen U- University uh, have remembered suddenly that there is a bylaw that says that to continue having access to a trust that a former um, uh, faculty member left to them, uh, they the have one that provides the cheese, the one that provides enough funds for them to have like six meals a day and a cheese board that consists of over 150 kinds of cheese. Um <laughs> To continue living in the lifestyle to which they have become accustomed, they're required to play in a football match. They don't have to win the football match, they just have to play in it. Unfortunately, football has fallen out of favor and has become sort of no longer a gentleman's sport. Um, <coughs> sorry, a s- gentleman's sport. Uh, but more of sort of a all-out brawl on the streets yep. and people yep. get injured. Which, in fairness, it was originally. Yeah, it was. Um, yes, people were originally kicking heads about it. <laughs> um, I guess. And so, like, how how do we sort of reclaim this from the masses but also still give enough of of it or preserve enough of it that the masses can still recognize it as their game. And it's it's interesting trying to work out what moral level this is operating on, because (laughs) on the one hand, it is about veterinary trying to claim control over in a top down way, something that is of the people. Mm -hmm. Like it is a sport that the idea is anybody can play it. You just need something to kick around and a space to kick it around in. And there is something very gentrification-y about the way in which Vednari is trying to impose external and organized yeah you know he's a tyrant but he's imposing an he's imposing organized sport with representatives on something that is incredibly groundswell anybody can do it the whole idea is it's a sport of the streets Mm. yeah and because it's a Terry Pratchett novel of course you have lots of sort of about human nature and what does sports mean with a capital m 
um, and sports as warfare and um, all that that good, good, deep stuff that we come to Terry Pratchett for. Yeah, and I think that, I think Freya had this point here, was that about the egalitarianism? Like, yeah, I was thinking anyone about Anyone can that. be good at sport, but is that actually true? Yeah, like, I mean, the, the pure form of football in this is the one that any it can come into any person, the least and most disrespected member of commu- of your community could be the one who is actually the best at sports. Mm-hmm. And I think sports is often held up as all that matters is how good you are. If you work hard, you can be very good. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily true. Right. Like lots of sports are very expensive to play. Right. The whole the reason that soccer is very very popular worldwide is because it is one of the few sports that you can play with very minimal equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it has rules that are very easily bent around the number of people that you have, the space that you have. Uh, but at the same time, it has become an elite and immensely popular industry. And I think that it's super interesting to set that against Bend It Like Beckham. Right, mm. um, because uh, you start Bend It Like Beckham with Jess in the park kicking around a ball with a goal made of you know somebody's sweater and somebody's water bottle, which is exactly what I grew up playing. Mm-hmm. Right, which is somebody in your class always had a football in their backpack. There was always yep. a kid who just did. Uh, I, I don't know, Freya, if you had this too. Uh, if it's a Commonwealth thing. But like someone has one and if you're waiting for class or it's lunch break and everyone's done eating, it'll get dropped on the ground. And if it comes to you, you can boot it. Yep. yep. I was homeschooled, uh, so I never experienced people <laughs> having things in backpacks or indeed the concept of backpacks. <laughs> but I think that there's a couple of different ways in which sport can never be actually egalitarian. And one of which mm. is like, there is a degree to which the the body and the abilities that you're born with affects your ability to do the sport. And another, mm-hmm. like Freya was saying, is there's the privilege question. Can you afford the time, the food, the car fuel to drive you to the matches, the expensive boots? Um, and then there is, will you get picked for the team? Uh, you know, there's um, a few sequel fix to Bend It Like Beckham about the girls going to university in America and... Uh, Jules being the one who gets all of the attention as the white girl, mm-hmm. um, right? Like who gets signed? Why? Um, who gets to kneel for the national anthem and keep their career in sports? Right, mm. right. And it sort of relates to how people are like, "Oh, yes, we should keep politics out of art." Like you can't because politics is art and politics is sports. Um, you, there's humans no... are art. Humans, humans are sport, and humans are polis. Yes. Like, that's the thing. It's in the bloody thing. It's in the It's eh, in the name. Etymology. It's in the name. Yes. Um, all of those things. I don't have anything else to add, Macy. That was brilliant. <laughs> Thank you for yeah, distilling well, my rant down into like three <laughs> sentences. <laughs> I was going to say that this one takes the idea of football as a team sport a little bit further. So Bend It mm-hmm. Like Beckham is very much about individual within team. Yes. This one is more about teams being used as your chosen representatives yes. in warfare that is not mm. warfare. Mm-hmm. Right. It is saying we're not at war anymore, but here is a way to have a stand-in of that that will fulfill some inner need that we have to watch somebody fight on our behalf. Yeah. I was in a lift ride to go to a doctor's appointment earlier this morning, and the gentleman informed me that he was, uh, he'd come over from Somalia and he was an Arsenal supporter. Uh, and I'm like, oh, yes, I'm a Bala supporter. Uh, and, you know, we speak the same language and we know that we are enemies, but we know exactly how we're enemies. Yeah. Yes. So so that's nice. Because, like, fucking Arsenal, man. Um, Just Mm. because they win all the time doesn't mean you should support them. Um. It's it's a difficult one because, on the one hand, if you have something that is that widespread, it does become a really easy uh, shorthand and a way for people to connect that is just, like, one step above the weather. You can talk about the teams and the league and what's happening. In Australia, there are a few different football codes and – it might depend a little bit on your class and a little bit about mm. where you all grow, where you grow up, and where, where you're living now, as to which football code you follow. Mm. And there are certain markers that says something about you as to when you say football, what do you mean? Fascinating. Because any one person in Australia saying the word football could mean one of four things very easily. And as well, a Victorian, I mean, I mean Australian Football League. Ha. But somebody in rugby-ish. New South Wales, or sorry, is that the rugbyish one? 
Well, there are two forms of rugby and there's AFL and then there's soccer. Hey, remember at the top of this Google document when you were like, we don't know anything about sports. We don't have sports teams, so we can't do sports teams as the ones. Hey, remember that time? Remember that? Amazing. Well, okay. But let's talk then back about the temple. Because um, one thing Unseen Academicals does do really well is that sense of I'm from this neighborhood and this is my team. And yes, they're a right bunch of wankers, but they're mine. They're mine. Mm. The belonging. There's a line yeah. towards the beginning about like feeling like a lonely soul crying out to not be alone and to like belong to something, um, which gave me chills right up my back, honestly. And I think that that's so they call it the shove mm-hmm. in um, in the story. And I think that that is kind of the impetus behind the teams for Pratchett. Um, like Freya was saying, they're representatives of this bigger thing. Mm. But I want to talk about, you know, what... What are things do we do with sports in stories? What's it for? So we've mentioned (laughs) we've mentioned how sports is kind of a stand-in for war, right? Like Mm. as we have entered into the modern age and become quote unquote too civilized for for war, which is not actually true. Oive, I roll. Um, Like we do kind of human nature has an instinctive us versus them instinct which needs to be addressed and had a hard look taken at it um and in many cases deprogrammed sports is a relatively harmless way to have an outlet for that instinct without actually hurting anyone with it where you can have like oh yes this is my team and i super support them and like those other guys are wankers but we're gonna beat them in the game next week but everybody goes home without anything more than their feelings hurt well i think that in the purpose of a story Mm. though um like one of the narrative things that you can do um a sport is a very easy to understand kind of driver Mm, yeah ambition for a character Mm. stakes stakes Stakes. yeah i mean flakes flakes Flakes. (laughs) no freya has the mic sorry I mean, the structure of a tournament is something that everybody yes. understands. You can build a narrative around that so easily because everybody kind of understands the idea of you start at the bottom and you slowly work your way up and you have to have ongoing successes and victories to get to the final big Gosh. grand the cup or the last down. thing where you will become the champions. Yeah. And you can build a story around that incredibly easily. Mm. And there is something very satisfying on a narrative level mm-hmm. about watching somebody succeed. It's partly yeah. competence porn and it's partly that we just understand how tournaments work. And especially that- if you've got an underdog story of someone who was not expecting right. to be successful in the tournament, then you get that uh, little blip of serotonin where you see your favoured <laughs> character overcome expectations or mm-hmm. prove people wrong. And if you see that happen again and again and again and again, with the stakes getting higher every time, that's a good story. Yeah. Is Dragon Ball Z a sports anime? Ignore that question. Uh, (laughs) But is that any different between individual and team sports? Well, I think that even individual sports are, in a sense, team sports, because even an individual has people to support them, right? Like, nobody does something all by themselves. You have a coach. Well, but in the narrative, I think it's a little bit different, In the narrative, well... The yeah, but it generally does depend supporting on characters. the structure of the sport. I think you're right. It depends. Do you want to tell a story about an ensemble or do you want to tell yeah. a story about an individual? Because you can mm-hmm. tell an individual story in a team sport, which is what Bendit Like Beckham is. Yes. And you can tell something like Haikyuu where there is a main character, but also there is a focus on the ensemble. You get right. everybody's little point of view. Um, and if you've got a team, it's a very easy way to introduce an ensemble. It's like if you're doing a heist story Mm -hmm. the whole point of it is bringing the team together getting everybody's own personal skills and what do they bring to the team and how and watching them succeed it's exactly the same urge it's reminding me of the discussion we had during the battlecraft episode about the difference in a battle scene where the main character kind of had agency over the battle and was trying to win it where versus the battle being a setting that they were interacting with um mm-hmm. and i think that yeah because kind of um unseen academicals the tournament is a setting it's not a driver um bend it like beckham is a little bit like that although the individuals still have a thing they are driving to win it's just that the thing that they are driving to win is scholarships 
not the tournament. Mm. Whereas my understanding from Haikyuu is they are kind of drive. The narrative is driving to win the tournament, is winning the game um, as a team, and they are growing within that. But they are exerting themselves to win. They are having a degree of control over the outcome in the story. And I think that when you're talking about an individual sport. You can't avoid having agency over the outcome because it's you.、Mm-hmm. That's、yeah. true. But a team, you can avoid that. For me, the perfect sports story is <laughs> Yuri on Ice, of which、course. we haven't talked about yet. But that <laughs>、um, it's different to other sports animes because it is a very individual sport, an individual story, and a, and so much of it happens not on the ice.、Mm-hmm. So much of it is actually about. The, the central character、mm. of Yuri and his personal journey towards self confidence and rediscovering. I think the thing is, he's interesting. He starts off having lost his ambition, but having preserved his joy of skating instead of the other way around. That's、yes. an unusual That sports narrative. And so, what he has to rediscover is his drive to win.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, a sport、agree. that he has loved all along, and. You do get little bits and pieces of other characters and their own narratives, and you get these beautiful little snapshots of how other people relate both to ambition and to skating as a sport and as a means of self-expression. But the narrative is Yuri learning to win and learning that he is the kind of person who can win, as well as the romance, which is the primary second arc. Yes, and、um, sort of in the middle of the spectrum of like team versus individual sports, we have a Knight's Tale, which it's about an individual, but he has a support staff. He has the blacksmith. He has、uh, his friends whose names I have forgotten. He has <laughs> Jeffrey Chaucer to announce him at the beginning, and like he couldn't do what he does without having people to support him. Pos- Partially because the tournament itself is class restricted. Like you have to be、mm. noble born in order to be allowed to compete. And if you are noble born, then of course you have servants and people to help you and to back、right. you up.、Um, yeah, but in, but in the movie,、yeah. it's more about his success is all of their success. Yes,、mm. yes. Because he's like a representative towards towards his to his victory. Yeah. And at the end of the film, like. His representation、um, expands not to just his friends, but also to everyone from his poor neighborhood that he was born in. Like you're not just representing yourself or your friends; you're representing like your father. You're representing the place where you were born. Mm. Mm. So I think that that brings us on to our next discussion, right? As、mm. the athlete as a celebrity. Yeah. Yeah, and I wanted to very briefly touch on sports RPF fanfic、uh-huh. and why it is a really big subgenre of RPF.、Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you guys have read a lot in various sports RPF subgenres, but for me, who has written a little bit of it and read quite a bit of it,、mm-hmm. it is about the fact: number one, you get to do the sports story. Yes. You get to do the ensemble and the Olympics and the tension between the game and the individual without having to invent an enormous number of original characters. <laughs> the characters are there, the teams are there, the tournament rules are there for you. You、yep. just get to wade in and impose whatever fictional versions you want on the construct that is these celebrities,、mm, right. and you can do it in a way that creates less awful and less toxic <sighs> versions of the horrible dude bros who are the actual <laughs> celebrities. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> for me that is the appeal,、mm. and I think it has this built-in striving, and also because of the way that sports works in our、uh, international attention span, you just have a lot of dudes relating to one another and being in like passionate friendships with each other、yeah. in the public eye. Um, which fangirls are gonna fangirl about? It's catnip,、um, <laughs> and it's not even necessarily that it's anything about those people,、um, or that there's anything attractive about them. Particularly not when you start learning some more. But we don't get to see that with the women as much because they're not as publicized,、um, and we don't get to see men having to depend upon one another、um, in clearly like emotionally taxing situations. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. The inherent homoeroticism of the locker、Sport. room. You know all of those <laughs> things. No, I think you're absolutely right. Like it's about heightened emotion and、mm-hmm. situations where the heightened emotion is built in, and then you、right. can build whatever you want on top of that. Yes. 
And I think that this goes into a little bit of bandom as well, is that we look at a band on tour, we look at somebody competing for an American Idol uh, win, and and you see some of the similar stuff. Right, because Um, it's mm. immediately a high-stress situation, and high-stress situations make for great character development. Like, you, you can't tell nearly as much about a person when they are cooking an apple pie in their kitchen as you can when they are in the middle of a fight for their lives, or... Either phys- either literal or metaphorical. Mm. Right. Yeah. And I think that's why sports romances, like taking a step back from RPF and fan fiction, but sports yes. romance is a fairly popular genre of capital R romance as a genre. And I think it's because exactly as you've said, it's a way to show somebody in an extreme, a situation of extremity and a situation of high stakes. And it's a very easy place to get conflict from. Mm-hmm. If you are wanting to tell the story of someone falling in love, but this person already has something enormous in their life that they are devoting themselves to, sure, it's very easy to find stakes there to say, okay, this person wants to be the best. They need to win the tournament. They need to do their best for their team. But, oh, no, they are falling in love and something <laughs> about the person they're falling in love with, either they're, they're on they're a rival, they're on the other team, or, oh, no, you know, the thing that I want to do for this person that I love will directly threaten my ability to win the game or participate in my team. You know, yep. the stakes are already there. You can make so many different interesting stories out of that. So I do love a good sports romance. I wanted to name check, check please, as yeah. oh, an yes. excellent, excellent illustration of... A romance where a lot of the tension, but also a lot of the romance itself, like the way they relate to one another and the way that they find common ground comes mm-hmm. from the sport itself. I really like that um, as a thing. I mean, I read less romance than you, but it's a common AU setting in a lot of fic as well. Um, but I think that for once we have in our episode talked a lot about fanfic and very little about SFNF. Yes, that's true. So do we want to talk about some of our favorite speculative splorts? Um, one speculative of speculative sp- speculative splorts. Uh, one of my favorite ones is by one of my most hashtag problematic but most favorite authors, uh, KJ Parker. I wrote it down in the document as KJ Charles, but it's not KJ Charles, it's KJ <laughs> Parker. Uh, so Sharps is a roughly renaissance level tech uh fantasy society uh with no magic and they kind of invent olympic fencing as a way of not going to war with a neighboring kingdom like why would you go to war when you can just like send some people and like pretend to stab at each other uh, and in classic KJ Parker style, it has it is awash with luscious details about the art of fencing. Um, and also in classic KJ Parker style, he's very bad at women uh, and queer people. So <laughs> be yep. mindful of that. I think there's a lot of sports in SFF, in YA especially, Mm -hmm. because sports creates a really good ground for that classic YA protagonist coming of age, what do I want structure that that YA looks for. So Kate Elliott's series that begins with Game of Fives is about a young woman who wants to compete in this sort of almost like American Gladiator kind Mm -hmm. of tournament. There's a lot of things in YA to do with sport as spectacle. And that intersection yes. between entertainment and ambition. Uh, obviously, if you take it to the far end, then you end up with the Hunger Games, which is sport as spectacle as dystopia. Uh, but I do well, really I mean, like the Game of Five series. Hunger Games, I could argue back and forth as to whether or not that's a sport. Um, but, I mean, deathmatch, I guess. But the one that came to mind for me was the science fiction um, Ender's Game, uh, Mm. the war training games, you Mm. know, the enemy's gate is down, which is very much a tournament team sport, team formation situation. Mm. It's a very classic sports tale. It's just also a genocide at the same time. Fun! Yeah, it's on that sort of like the war sport. And then you've got racing sports, which are the whole other things. So pod racing in Star Wars. Yes! Uh, There's a book that's recently come out, which I haven't read, but looks really good. It's another YA called Blaze Ruff Games Hmm. by Amparo Ortiz, which is about dragon tournaments. Ooh! Which Um, sounds really fun. One of my favorite YA books uh, about sports from way, way back in like 2003 or so um, is about, it's called The 
City of Stars. I don't remember the author's name. Um, and it is about a fantasy version of the Palio de Siena, which is a um, famous Italian race that happens every year, horse race, um, which has very much like extremely strong neighborhood team allegiances. Um, I want to go <laughs> oh, see the it Italians. Now. Yes. <laughs> I say with great affection and personal connection, <laughs> yes. oh, the Italians. Oh, the Italians. <laughs> yeah, and I think sports is a really fun way to add depth to world building if you're yes. doing some science fiction and fantasy, either if you're just creating a new way of people doing sports as community building, or if you're thinking, okay, in my science fiction tech or with this magic system that I have, what sport could be created right. out of it's that? Like- it's like your Nulgy, um, your, your Nulgy gymnastics competition in that uh, you're an ice fic that I always forget the name of. Yes, yes. The first one is called Stargazer. There we yeah. go. Freya nearly forgot the name too, so I don't feel I bad anymore. Did. I'm like, you know, the space one. Yuri in space. That one, with one. The, pictures, the scribes with would have been able art. to find it easily. Yeah, and that one's that, that was very much about sport as art as well. Yes. Like, the reason I am the figure skating slurpent is yep. because I was a terrible, terrible team sport player. Mm. Uh, not necessarily bad at the sport, though most of them, yes, but I didn't really gel with being part I... of a team as a small, <laughs> selfish child. We are all a particular kind of type A, yes. where we are more inclined to be pissed off with our teammates for not doing what we thought they should have done yes. than we are to... Um, yes. I played a lot of team sports in high school. We were trying to decide what sports ones we should be at the beginning. And the other two had a fairly easy time. And I was like, I could be orienteering or volleyball or badminton or tennis or netball or etc. etc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, looping, yeah. looping back around to, to, to my point. <laughs> <laughs> Um, figure skating appealed to me in the first place because I was also a performer and a dancer and mm-hmm. I liked mm-hmm. the idea of a sport where, yes, part of it is about trying to be better than you were yesterday and doing the more difficult thing, but it's also about putting on a sparkly costume and moving to music and doing something interpretive. You know what I would love to see, which I don't know if we see much of? Darling listeners, tell us if you have any favourites that fit this bill. Um ballet and orchestra and like performance as sport Mm, princess tutu is that i guess it is yeah you're right cool (laughs) i guess (laughs) i guess somebody i I read a lot of stories as a kid that were set in ballet schools and a lot of them had a very similar structure to a sports narrative in that it's about will you be chosen to be in the production and it's all very physical and it's ensemble but also the focus is on the individual yes so they have a lot in common yes and i thought of another one for you macy it's a ya book uh i can't remember i can't believe i remembered the title of it it's called aria of the sea it's by dia calhoun and it is a a fantasy novel about a young woman who comes from a fishing village and she goes to fancy ballet school and she has to go up against like all the fancy rich people and um (laughs) be the best and that's all i remember yeah. You are totally right. I just was, I was the, um, the Animorphs genre of small girl, not the ballet school small girl. And thus I had forgotten that that's, well, right, that's a whole genre. Yes. So before we, so just before we finish, I think we wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about the ways yeah. in which sports narratives can be made very speculative and very creative. Mm. And you two are going to explain <laughs> baseball to me, who does not follow the baseball. Okay. But before we get that, I wanted to name check um, 1777-6. Did you yes. read this when it came out? I read a little bit of it. And I quickly got confused slash lost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I, I think I, it popped into my head recently because a sequel was released. Yeah. What there is, is it? I don't know what it is. It is a multimedia narrative oh, gosh. that was released <laughs> a few years ago, uh, of which the premise is some sentient space probes talking to one another about games of football that are being played on Earth in the year 17,776. 
And I'll read you a little bit from the Wikipedia page about the premise yep. that says, The three space probes watch multiple football games occurring across the United States. A game using the entirety of Nebraska as a field in which the next point scored wins the game. A game in which players strive to possess every existing football signed by Coy Detmer. A game played between the Canadian border and the Mexican border, deadlocked for 13,000 years at the bottom of a gorge in Arizona. And it keeps going on. Yep. So it's about this idea of as human endeavor and human technology and society change over vast periods of time. So a sport may become extreme and eldritch <laughs> and weird. Extreme, eldritch and weird. We know nothing about that, Alex, do we? That's the same thing as baseball, Freya, essentially, yeah. sort of. <laughs> yes, um, that's what made me think of it. Tell me about the baseball, which I have not followed and know nothing about apart from Night Vale meets Splorts. Yes, so, okay. The core of Blaseball is that you go to the website blaseball.com and you sign up for an account and then every hour on the hour from uh, Monday through Saturday, uh, a Blaseball game starts and you can watch all of the teams play, baseball. quote unquote, except you're watching them play as just a little chart on the screen with like a text cue that says like, Nick Winkler is batting for the flowers. Uh, Nick Winkler strikes out, um, that sort of thing. Except then that was the first season, the first week that it happened. Um, and then it kept getting progressively weirder because then um, peanuts start like eating a peanut started like giving players like magical abilities. <laughs> and then the giant peanut appeared from the sky and gave us rules about like how we were p playing baseball wrong. There was an eclipse <laughs> and some rogue umpires started incinerating players. I support the Boston Flowers, um, which used to be the worst team in the league, but... Um, Everybody voted to get a blessing, and the blessing was party time, ex or enhanced party time, which means that when a team is mathematically eliminated from being able to reach the playoffs, uh, occasionally in games that they play, one of their players will get a boost to their stats. Yes. I, I guess the, the, the underlying point of Blazeball um, is that this is a random number generator pretending to be a sport. Yes. Yes. I was and about to ask, where is the content coming from? Absolutely nowhere. Nowhere. It's Who decided that it became more weird? And is it well, just... Well, there are is game it entire, devs. This is the thing I was saying. Is it coming from a thing? Because it seems to me the appeal of it is in the fandom. And Correct. this like crowd crowdsourcing of mythos. Yes. So as I was, yes, as I was about, about to continue my sentence, um, the, the game is a random number generator uh, written by a small handful of developers who, bless their hearts, are trying to buy enough servers to keep the ravening hordes from destroying everything. Um, and the actual activity and content are a series of Discord rooms, Twitter, and a bet placing system. Mm -hmm. uh, people paste bets, people shout about bets, people draw fan art. There is a music set like people have decided that one of the um teams is a band um and it's very terry pratchett it's very yes. you know show me one atom of truth um but it's i think one of those things that had to have happened now you know there are moments in time on the internet that are formed of a sense of disconnect and loss and loneliness that mm. we are all feeling together and that sense that, hey, this thing is totally ridiculous and maybe in other times I would be quote-unquote too dignified to engage with it like this, but we need something and we can build this thing together. Yes. Um, and I think that's kind of the spirit of Blazeball. Yeah, yeah. And weird, and eldritch, weird eldritch Night Vale stuff. Yeah. yeah, I think that's what sports gives us in a narrative and in the world is this ability to forge a common language and a common feeling and a common sense of striving together with each other as, you know, monkeys descended from the trees. Yes. God, that was beautiful. Let's just end the episode right there. Hey everybody, thanks for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. I am recording this outro on Friday the 30th of October, 
and this episode is going up on the 4th of November, which will be the day after the American presidential election. So um, that's probably going to be kind of tonally weird, no matter what will have happened last night. Um, either way, I hope that you're doing okay. Uh, I know that it's been a really rough few weeks for me, but um, let's talk about something else. Let's just get our minds off of it, okay? Um, I don't know, like the absolute injustice of how Macy and Freya went along with the bit for this episode and said splorts and slurpents and stuff, but they couldn't bring themselves to say vampire dramatically last episode. Ugh, I suffer so much, gleared listenblers. Listenblers. Fuck it. I can't say that word. Doesn't roll off the tongue nearly as much as slurpents does. Slurpents. Slurpents. See? Good times. Anyway, we have some even more exciting topics to talk about in upcoming episodes. On the next episode, two weeks hence, on November 18th, we'll be discussing mermaids. Totally chill, fun episode. Nothing about the horror terrors of the darkest sea. Nope. Uh, if you want to prepare in advance, one of the tentpoles for that episode is The Deep by River Solomon. So if you have a friend who's into stuff like that, maybe give them a heads up. In the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Questions, comments, breathless adulations. Contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com, at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr, or join in the conversation in our fan Discord chat, linked on the About the Show page of our website. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon or leaving a review on iTunes. And by the way, there's no I in team. But if you add an O to the end, it spells te amo, which is how I feel about you. <clears throat> that, that was kind of a stretch, wasn't it? <laughs>